Welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner, here as always with my friend and comrade Derek Davison, and we're excited to bring you the news. Derek, let's start with Klimat. Yeah, Klimat is uh, good as always. The uh, European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service came out with its September numbers on uh, on Thursday, uh, announcing that this past September was the hottest on record by uh, about half a degree Celsius, which is a massive number when you start talking about global average temperatures, uh, well higher uh, than the previous record holder, September 2020. It's uh, not good, folks. It's the fourth month in a row where we've had record uh, high global temperatures. It sets 2023 up to be, without question, the hottest year ever recorded. Uh, I believe one climate scientist on Twitter or X or uh, shitter, actually, I think people should start calling it that. Uh, the uh, X sound, uh, the SH. Uh, anyway, uh, as uh, as one climate scientist on that website referred to uh, the September figures as, I'm quoting here, gobsmackingly bananas. Uh, so not good, uh, not good. And apparently, October's already set <laughs> yeah. up in the first few days. October's already set up to be the hottest October on record, so we're we're really not doing well. Whatever bacon is, climate change is the opposite. Am I right? Yes, I guess. <laughs> All right, Derek. Let's talk about uh, Turkey, where there was a suicide bombing in Ankara. Yes, uh, there was a suicide bombing on Sunday uh, outside the Turkish Interior Ministry in Ankara. Uh, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, claimed responsibility via one of its media outlets. Um, the target, uh, the, I, there's reporting kind of uh, suggested that uh, it was time to coincide with uh, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's appearance at Parliament to reopen Parliament after the summer recess. Uh, I don't see how that it was several hours before that happened. And it, again, it was at the Interior Ministry, not the Parliament building. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. Nevertheless, two police officers were wounded in the attack and the Turkish government, as it is, it is wont to do, uh, has decided to seize on the crisis tunity or crisis tunity posed by this uh, attack to justify further violence against the PKK and uh, the People's Defense Units, the YPG, in Syria, the PKK, mostly based in northern Iraq these days. Uh, so they've conducted multiple airstrikes this week against targets in Iraq. They conducted uh, at least one air campaign or airstrike against uh, targets in Syria, um, none of this is a policy shift. It's just that now they can point to this bombing as justification uh, for what they're doing. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, especially in Syria, it's always a concern uh, given the presence of U.S. forces there and the fact that the U.S. is working with the YPG or the rebrand, the Syrian Democratic Forces. Uh, I believe on Thursday there was an incident. The U.S. shot down a Turkish drone 
uh, in the middle of one of these uh, flurries of airstrikes. Uh, there's been no response yet from Turkey, but the U.S. apparently assessed that this drone was too close to a base that U.S. forces are using in eastern Syria uh, and warned the Turks to move it, and they didn't, and so they decided to shoot it down. Thanks, Derek. Uh, let's talk about Egypt, where there appears to be some fallout from the Menendez indictment. Yes, uh, people are presumably uh, have have caught up on the Menendez indictment, which was related to his work allegedly on behalf of the Egyptian government to uh, grease the wheels for weapons sales or weapons military aid and possibly to provide the Egyptians with intelligence. Uh, although that's a that's a separate parallel investigation. Menendez has stepped down as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He has not resigned from the Senate, but he has stepped down as chair. His replacement, Ben Cardin from Maryland, is considerably less uh, sanguine about providing military aid to Egypt in spite of all the human rights abuses and uh, various other things. And so he is blocking along with Gregory Meeks, who's the ranking Democrat of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, they are blocking $235 million in U.S. aid uh, unless Cardin sees the Egyptian government make, uh, I guess, what he would consider to be measurable improvements uh, on the issue of human rights. This is the maximum amount that can be withheld under U.S. law. The U.S. provides about $1.3 billion in military aid to Egypt every year. Um, a small portion of that, roughly 300, uh, I guess, uh, 320 maybe million is subject to uh, human rights considerations. Of that, another 85 million, uh, 85 million of that uh, is not discretionary. It's based on how many political prisoners the Egyptian government has, whether it has released any or, you know, people deemed to be political prisoners, I guess I should say. Uh, the Egyptian government regularly kind of fails that test and it failed it this year. So that 85 million has already been withheld. The rest of it is discretionary. And Menendez, of course, uh, given that he's got a bunch of gold bars from the Egyptians in his house, allegedly, uh, was going to let that go through. But Cardin has put a put a stop to it, uh, at least for the time being. Thanks, Derek. Uh, let's talk about the Armenian evacuation occurring in Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, yes, there have been a couple of international forays into Nagorno-Karabakh this week, or it's the Karabakh region, uh, one by the United Nations and then another one by the International Red Cross to monitor uh, where things stand after the evacuation. I say after, it has essentially tapered off. Uh, more than 100,000 people uh, Armenian residents of Karabakh evacuated to Armenia uh, in this wave following, of course, the, the Azerbaijani government's uh, reclamation of control over that region uh, last month. That's out of a pre-conflict you know, population of around 120,000. So uh, still some people left uh, behind. Not It's unclear uh, what their circumstances are, and there may be a variety of reasons why they stayed behind. Uh, many of them, I would suspect, were unable to make the journey. So they're either too old, too sick. Uh, or too frail and whatever for whatever reason to have made the trek uh, from Karabakh to Armenia and that's that was the purpose of the Red Cross visit 
Uh, they were uh, kind of going around Stepanakert or Han Kendi, depending on your perspective, which is the former de facto capital of this uh, region, the secession when it was, uh, you know, a secessionist enclave, looking for people who stay behind and trying to assess how what their needs are, uh, because of course, you know, society is virtually shut down. Hospitals aren't open. You know, you're not, you, you can't go to the grocery store. There's nobody there to make society work. So that's. Uh, that's where things stand. Uh, there have been some arrests by the Azerbaijani government of former senior officials in the secessionist regime, the P- Republic of Artsakh uh, administration, uh, which is now uh, dissolving itself or will effective will be dissolved uh, as of the start of uh, the new year. Uh, they've arrested, I think, around eight uh, former officials. It's not entirely clear. Uh, what they'll be charged with uh, or what punishments they face. I assume they will be uh, convicted because there's not much uh, suspense in the outcome of judicial proceedings in Azerbaijan. Uh, They're pretty much arranged beforehand. So, uh, you know, I I assume they will be convicted. I don't know uh, what they're looking at in terms of punishments. But yeah, that's where things stand. There's been a little bit of movement to try and uh, engage some Azerbaijani-Armenian diplomacy. There's a European political community conference going on in Granada uh, this week. But uh, Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev was supposed to attend. He decided not to attend. He was apparently angered by... Uh, the participation of the French government, which has made some inroads with Armenia, promising uh, to send military aid to the Armenian government, for example. Uh, And he had requested that the Turkish government be allowed to uh, participate to provide, I guess, in his mind, some some balance. And uh, that was rejected. And so uh, he's decided not to go. So this uh, little attempt at diplomacy didn't uh, didn't go anywhere. Thanks, Derek. Um, Could you let us know what's going on in Pakistan, where they appear to be kicking out Afghani migrants? Yes. uh, The Pakistani government earlier this week uh, essentially ordered all as over four million. I don't know the exact figure, but over four million um, undocumented persons uh, currently in Pakistan to leave. Now, they can't enforce this. That's too many people, obviously, to just round up. But it it provides a legal pretext then to expel people later on if, if they want. Uh, and this seems to be targeted mostly at Afghans. Now, there are uh, a huge number of registered Afghan refugees in Pakistan. This doesn't apply to them. It applies to the, I think, 1.7 or so million undocumented Afghans who are in uh, Pakistan. Now, this comes as a they, they've couched this in national security language. They, the uh, Pakistanis are claiming that of the 24 suicide bombers who have carried out attacks in Pakistan so far this year, 14 of them have been Afghan nationals, and that is the the basis for them issuing this order. Uh, Amnesty International uh, has come out, and I don't know about other international NGOs, but they've uh, come out and, and asked the Pakistanis not to uh, force anybody to leave, especially Afghans, because, of course, the situation in Afghanistan is not uh, one that uh, really is conducive to human flourishing. So, um, you know, they're getting a little bit of pushback here, but uh, this is something that I think will, in addition to uh, being a concern on human rights grounds, it will be a concern in terms of the relationship between Afghanistan and Pakistan, which is not good, uh, has not been good uh, really for a long time, but uh, certainly hasn't improved since the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, uh, contrary to uh, some expectations. Uh, the Taliban uh, government in Afghanistan has not done 
uh, anything really to control militants using Afghanistan as a base uh, to carry out attacks in Pakistan. And so relations between those two governments are really bad. Uh, and I suspect that if there's a sudden influx of uh, refugees returning to Afghanistan, that is only going to increase tensions. Thanks, Derek. Let's talk about North Korea and its recent nuclear activity. Yeah, this is a story that uh, was just reported on Thursday, so I don't have uh, a ton of details, but apparently the North Koreans have stopped processing uh, their uh, stopped uh, the, the their nuclear reactor uh, at their Yongbyon nuclear complex, which is their main source for weapons fuel, essentially. Uh, they've stopped the reactor, which means they're probably reclaiming plutonium waste from the fuel rods, which would suggest that they are preparing to construct uh, a nuclear warhead of some kind. Now, um, you know, that could mean anything, uh, but there have been, there has been a consistent kind of drumbeat from the North Korea watcher community uh, that the North Koreans are building towards some kind of a nuclear test, probably one involving a uh, miniaturized warhead such that, you know, that could be used as a tactical nuclear weapon as opposed to a strategic that could be put on a warhead, like a dummy warhead from an artillery round or, um, you know, a, a rocket or a cruise missile or something like that. So, you know, this is all very speculative, but it is possible uh, that that's they're they're making they're taking steps toward uh, something like that. It's just something to to keep an eye on. Thanks, Derek. Could you give us an update on what's going on in Mali? Yes. Uh, the fighting between the Malian junta, the Malian military junta, and the coalition of Azawad movements, which declared, I believe, last month uh, that it was uh, in a state of war once again with Mali. Now, the, C the coalition of Azawad movements, or CMA, is an umbrella group for uh, Tuareg and Arab factions that revolted against the Malian government in 2012. They reached a peace deal in 2015, but the, the organization still exists, and it had, uh, for several weeks uh, prior to its announcement last month, uh, been bickering with the Malian junta over the implementation of that 2015 peace deal and over the United Nations withdrawal of peacekeepers from Mali as uh, at the junta's uh, request. They, as I say, they declared last month that they were once again, you know, in a state of war with the with the junta. They have, uh, according to their claims, at least, they've taken control of five military bases at this point in various uh, areas in northern Mali. You know, that's not confirmed. Um, and we don't I, I, we can't say if they're still holding those bases or if they've sort of, you know, raided them for equipment and then moved on. I suspect probably the latter more than the former. But uh, I, I really don't know what is also happening here is that the U.N. Uh, recently moved its forces this is continuing the steady withdrawal out of the country, moved its forces out of two bases in Mal northern Mali's Kidal region, which is a CMA stronghold. Uh, and the, the Malian junta has reportedly put together a fairly sizable army that it is marching uh, into that region to take control of those facilities. And, um, you know, that sets up a potentially big clash between the CMA uh, and the military. And nobody really seems to know what the CMA's capabilities are uh, at this point. So uh, it could be, again, something to the, that would um, really... 
add to Molly's dire security situation. Thanks, Derek. Um, could you give us an update on Niger now? Yes, this is brief. Um, not much has has developed here, but but people may have seen a report earlier this week uh, that Al- the foreign minister of Alger- Algeria, uh, Ahmed Ataf, uh, had claimed that the leaders of Niger's junta uh, had accepted uh, Algeria's offer to mediate between Niger and the economic community of West African states, and also had agreed to a proposal that the Algerian government had floated for a six-month transition back to civilian governance in Niger. Um, Ataf made, as I say, he made that claim earlier this week. The junta, the Nigerian junta, then uh, a day later said, uh, we have no idea what this guy's talking about. We haven't accepted anything. Uh, We certainly haven't accepted a six-month transition plan. The one that they had previously floated was three years. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if people saw that report, but it has been, uh, thoroughly denied by the junta. And so things are still in this kind of limbo status where Niger, uh, Nigerian officials are not negotiating with, uh, ECOWAS. ECOWAS is supposedly still, uh, planning some kind of military intervention. The longer, uh, we go without that materializing, the less and less likely I think it becomes, um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, there was this this report. I don't know why uh, Ataf made that claim without some assurance that uh, the junta wouldn't uh, come back the next day and say, no, we don't know what you're talking about. But uh, he did. And uh, it's apparently doesn't mean anything. Uh, now let's talk about the tensions that seem to be arising between Kosovo and Serbia. Yes, uh, there was an incident last month that started, I mean, you know, obviously the tensions between Kosovo and uh, Serbia go back uh, much longer than last month, but there was an incident last month in which uh, a group of apparent, apparently Serb, ethnic Serb militants attacked a police unit in northern Kosovo and, and uh, there was a a shootout, a little siege in a, a, a monastery uh, that ended with, I think, one police officer dead and uh, three of the attackers dead. Authorities uh, in Kosovo, uh, Kosovo have blamed the Serbian government uh, essentially for facilitating that attack. The Serbian uh, officials deny that. Um, the White House, the, the Biden administration said on Friday that it was tracking what it called an unprecedented Serbian military buildup on the border uh, with Kosovo and, uh, you know, obvious, obviously uh, raising concerns about some kind of an invasion. NATO moved to increase somewhat, you know, not not a large increase, but slightly increase the size of its peacekeeping contingent uh, in that country. You know, one gets uh, flashbacks to when the administration was warning about the Russian military buildup. Uh, before the invasion of Ukraine. So, you know, I, I think it's something to, to take seriously. The Serbs, Serbian officials denied that there was anything going on, but they also do appear to have measurably uh, reduced the size of their military deployment on the border back to something approaching normal levels. Uh, so that particular tension may have subsided. Uh, Serbian authorities have also arrested a uh, Kosovan Serb named Milan Radojic, who is uh, allegedly was allegedly the facilitator of that uh, attack last month. Uh, they've released him 
uh, they arrested him and then released him a, a day or two later. But they've released him into something that seems like parole. He's got to check in with police every, uh, you know, couple of times a month. And uh, his passport's been confiscated, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't seen any response to that from anybody uh, in uh, Kosovo. They, they may you know, be looking for him to be extradited. And I, that, that would be interesting because of course, Serbia doesn't recognize Kosovo as a, as an independent state. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, um, we'll have to, again, uh, I don't know where that's going to go, but it, it is a, uh, source of, uh, additional tension in Europe. And we will keep you updated. Uh, let's talk now about Ukraine and particularly concerns over support from the U S and Slovakia. Yes, uh, as people are probably aware, the U.S. Congress uh, postponed its its next shutdown party uh, over the weekend, uh, thanks to a continuing resolution uh, that was uh, brought up in the House of Representatives without any new Ukraine spending, as the administration had requested. Uh, this was apparently all it was needed to get enough Republicans on board uh, to get the continuing resolution passed. Uh, but it has, of course, caused a great deal of hand-wringing over the possibility that uh, U.S. support for Ukraine could be uh, interrupted or reduced. Or, you know, it's, it's injected a lot of uncertainty uh, into that uh, lifeline for the Ukrainian military. Uh, I don't see this really interrupting Ukrainian aid that substantially, but nevertheless, that's the fear. There is another uh, another fear that has emerged in the wake of uh, the Slovakian election uh, over the weekend, uh, in which the uh, Smer SD party, uh, led by foreign Prime Minister uh, Robert Fico, one, uh, I say one, they took around 23% of the vote. So uh, they're going to have some coalition uh, negotiating to do if, if Fico wants to be prime minister again. Uh, but Fico is avowed, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of, uh, he's been called pro-Russia. He's certainly friendly with Vladimir Putin and, and more, you know, thinks more highly of Russia than most European uh, leaders these days. Uh, he has said he would end Slovakian military support for Ukraine, but not humanitarian support. Slovakia has been a logistical hub uh, for shipping weapons into Ukraine. It's It's been pretty important in that regard, and presumably FICA would want to do away with that uh, as well. Um, as I say, he's got, a nego- he's got a pretty heavy negotiating process in front of him, and he's going to be negotiating uh, with parties that don't want to cut off that that support for that military support for Ukraine. So he may have to to find some compromise here. Uh, nevertheless, this is all kind of contributed to this sea of uh, concern over the sustainability of the ongoing effort to support the Ukrainian military. Of course, even under normal conditions, Ukraine has been burning through, uh, especially ammunition, artillery ammunition, faster than its uh, supporters can produce it. Uh, and if there's an interruption in U.S. aid or if, uh, you know, the Slovakia uh, election comp- uh, complicates things, that's just going to add to the uh, uh, the concerns. Uh, there's been some rumors of a Russian nuclear missile. What's been going on with that? Yeah. So Vladimir Putin made this announcement on Thursday and, and it can't be confirmed, but he uh, claims that the Russian military has successfully tested uh, uh, the Burevestnik uh, missile. This is a nuclear powered cruise missile. Um, it, it It's intended to serve uh, basically as a loitering weapon. It has virtually 
unlimited range because of it's it's nuclear powered and so it could be flown around you know almost indefinitely or at least in the context where you would be using it uh virtually indefinitely and and by doing that you could confound enemy uh air defense systems and uh defeat them and bring a nuclear weapon presumably on the tip of this thing to bear on a target it's if it sounds like a, a an extravagant weapon system, that's because it is. It strikes me as sort of the the spruce goose of uh, nuclear weapons or nuclear armaments. Um, I, I, there's there's nothing that it does. I don't think that couldn't be done. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit differently, but just as effectively with uh, non nuclear powered weapons uh and it's a huge risk for accident you know they, as i say that they've claimed they claim they've done a successful test but one successful test doesn't mean you're not potentially risking meltdowns with this thing uh there was an accident that took place in 2019 that probably was the the result of another attempt to test this missile uh in which you know uh, there was a radioactive fallout it was a you know a very serious thing uh, we don't know very much about it because the media environment in russia is not conducive to uh, to that sort of thing um, so, you know, this is, uh, Putin made this announcement as sort of another demonstration of Russia's might and nuclear power and as a deterrent for the deterrent effect. Uh, I don't think it's a terribly practical weapon, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be terribly worried about it if you're, uh, the kind of person who worries about such things. Thanks, Derek. Uh, let's talk about Bolivia, where there appears to be a schism in the Movimiento Socialismo. Yes, the, uh, the MAS held, uh, the MAS party held a conference uh, on Wednesday that was apparently not well attended. It was boycotted by a number of uh, the party's constituencies in which they voted to expel Bolivian President Luis Arce uh, and Vice President David Choquehanca because of a schism that has emerged between Arce and former Bolivian President Evo Morales. Of course, Bolivia is uh, approaching a presidential election in 2025, and it seems that the two of them are unable to agree on which of them should have the MAS party line in that presidential election. And Morales has been critical uh, of Arce's government, and uh, as I say, the party appears to be splitting into factions. I don't know that this vote to expel is going to be uh, binding because, as I say, the con- Congress was boycotted by a number of constituencies and Arce himself, I, I might add. Uh, there is another party Congress that's supposedly going to be held that Arce will attend uh, where they could uh, you know, try to rescind the expulsion or they could just further this uh, what appears to be emerging schism in the party. Thanks, Derek. Uh, let's talk about Guatemala and the pro-Aravalo protests. Yes, there are more protests this week. Uh, Guatemalans angry over the uh, efforts, and I, I, if people have had a chance to listen to our uh, our special about the situation in Guatemala, uh, I would uh, definitely urge you to do that if you haven't done it already. But uh, people are upset uh, because the Guatemalan Attorney General uh, Maria Consuelo Porras is effectively trying to prevent. Arevalo from becoming president, or at least to undermine uh, and cripple his administration before he even takes office. Uh, her office has been seizing ballots or trying to seize ballots from election officials uh, to cobble together some sort of fraud case against Arevalo and his party, the Seed Party. The it seems cl- pretty clear that the anti-corruption 
uh, message that Arevalo ran on and that is the seed party's sort of raison d'etre is, is contrary to Boris's uh, belief that corruption should be allowed to continue and that this is a good thing. Uh, she seems a little bit miffed by the whole anti-corruption thing. As I say, there have been a number of protests. There were more of them this week. Uh, many of the protesters, uh, indigenous Guatemalans who are looking for uh, Porras to resign. They want the Guatemalan Constitutional Court to come down hard uh, on her investigation and shut it down. Um, nothing has, you know, none of that has, has obviously happened uh, yet, but this is a, a definite, uh, something that could definitely uh, continue to escalate if if there's no uh, backing down from from Porras's office if they continue this uh, effort to try and undermine uh, the incoming president. Thanks, Derek. Uh, and it appears like the UN has authorized an intervention into Haiti. Yes, uh, great news. It can't possibly go badly. Uh, the UN Security Council voted 13 to nothing on Monday uh, with abstentions from China and Russia to authorize a uh, an international policing intervention to try and tackle gang violence in Haiti. This will be led by Kenya, a country whose police force has been roundly and routinely criticized for its uh, rampant human rights violations. But Kenya has offered uh, to lead the mission and to contribute 1,000 police officers to the cause. It will be supported by uh, voluntary contributions. It is not going to be, it's not treated as a an official UN operation, so there's no mandatory uh, funding from UN dues or anything like that. It will be contributed voluntarily by UN member states. The Biden administration has pledged uh, the lion's share of support so far, at least $200 million worth of support. Uh, so, you know, a U.S. orchestrated intervention uh, in Haiti, what what really could go wrong here? There's uh, It's uh, by the UN, which has a sterling track record in this country. You know, the, the situation there, I'm not, I don't mean to downplay uh, it is grim. There is no real government to speak of. There is unelected Prime Minister Ariel Henry, and then I don't know who else after that. Gangs are running fairly rampant across Haiti, so the situation is dire. Uh, I'm just not sure, given the history of how these things tend to go, uh, that there's any reason to hope that this mission is going to make things better rather than worse. And let's end on another really grim note, and that is the big, beautiful Biden border wall. Yes, this is uh, awesome. The Biden administration uh, has reportedly waived 26 federal laws in order to hastily slap up some new border wall along the Texas-Mexico border. You may recall that uh, Joe Biden previously said border walls don't work. He criticized Donald Trump uh, for doing this, for, for building the border wall. But now he's he's building his own big, beautiful border wall. Uh, there's some contradictory kind of messaging that's coming out of the Biden administration from this. The, the Homeland uh, Security uh, Department has said that the, the new wall uh, is necessary to stop a an out of control influx of, of undocumented migrants into the United States. Uh, but Joe Biden on Thursday, uh, when asked about about this new uh, this new wall segment uh, by reporters, uh, said that he had no choice. Congress allocated money to build this wall a couple of years ago, I think in 2019. Uh, and, you know, Joe Biden is just a humble, low-level civil servant in the car. He's a, he's a cog in the machine uh, of the U.S. government. There's nothing he can do to stop this from happening. He had no choice. He still doesn't think that border walls work. But gosh, you know, what, what do you want him to do? Uh, and so he's stuck. 
what what is I think a particular concern though is not even just that he's building this wall. It's that it's this waving of 26 federal laws to do it. Now, most of those laws have to do with things like conservation and environmental protection. And so the intention here is what's that? What's that? (laughs) What's that? I said, fuck that shit. Oh, I sorry. You did. You were breaking up on my end. Sorry. I didn't hear that. Yes. But I obviously fuck that shit. We are going to slap this thing together in the fastest, most haphazard uh, and potentially environmentally destructive way possible. Uh, we're going to cut through habitats. We're going to cut through water tables. It doesn't matter. Come hell or high water. We're building this thing. And uh, depending on which explanation, if you think it's because uh, we're trying to do something about the out of control migrant situation, uh, which is all rhetorical, that's not going to get them anything politically. Uh, and uh, if you believe, as Joe Biden says, that he's powerless uh, in the face of the overwhelming might of the U.S. government, uh, I also think that is a, a, a particularly disgusting way to try to spin this. He is the president of the United States and he can do what he wants. Uh, he's choosing to do this for reasons that I don't really pretend to understand. I don't know, Derek. I think Dark Brandon's the most progressive president since FDR. Anyway, thank you so much for giving us the news. And we'll talk to you. We'll talk to each other. We'll talk to the world again. Talk to everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.